our passage, Genesis chapter 47, verses 1 to 12. Old age, isn't it? Jacob, Jacob is 130, uh, and he's not done yet. Yeah, he's got another 17 years to go. Can, can you imagine it? Can you imagine living until you're 147 years of age? Uh, it's an amazing age, isn't it? What, what would you see? What would you do? You know, 147 years ago, you're, you're in uh, the middle of Queen Victoria's reign. Yeah, 1875. Just think of all the things you would have seen from 1875 until the present day. Yeah, you, you would have been, 1875, you, you would have had stagecoaches and steamboats. It would have taken you six or seven weeks to get to America instead of a few hours on an aeroplane. You know, canals, children working in coal mines, you lot down the front here. By the time you get to 12, you're off to work down the coal mine. Yeah, that's what you would have seen all those years ago. And, and then gradually over those years, you, you would have seen the introduction of a motor car from five miles an hour with, with somebody walking down in front of a car with a, a red flag because five miles an hour was so fast to cars that, that can do 150, 200 miles an hour today. Fly in, going into space, computers, National Health Service, television, cinema. How many things we have seen over this last 147 years. How many things will we see in the next 100 or so years? Now, there, there is a proviso here, isn't there? It would seem that Jacob is in possession of his faculties, doesn't it? It would seem as if he can get about by himself. He's not an invalid in any way at all. Uh, he seems to be a remarkable man, and there seems to be a manner about him that people take notice of. And he's brought into Pharaoh, and Pharaoh is amazed by this man. He looks at him, and we read, And Pharaoh said to Jacob, How many of the days of the years of your life? Now, that's not usually the first question you ask somebody, is it? You don't usually have your drawer drop and open and say, Wow, man, how old are you? You, you don't do that, do you? you know, but this is what Pharaoh does to Jacob. He looks at him, and he says, How old are you? How old are you? And Jacob's answer, verse 9 and Jacob said to Pharaoh, The days of the years of my sojourning are a hundred and thirty years. Few and evil have the days of the years of my life been, and they are not attained, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their sojourning. He says, My life is short compared to my father's. My life is short, and the days have been evil. Can you call 130 short? You can if your grandfather lived until he was uh, 900, can't you? Yeah? Can you say you've had only a few days? I want to look at Jacob's answer to Pharaoh this morning. Uh, really, I just want to look at one word that he uses. That word, sojourning. Okay? That's the word I want to concentrate on this morning. That word, sojourning. And I've got three points. They're simple points. Point number one, you're traveling. Point number two, you cannot stay. Point number three, you've got a destination. Okay, so you're traveling, you can't stay, you've got a destination. So, point one, you're traveling. Okay, you are traveling. Joseph, he's been with Pharaoh for a number of years now. Um, there's been seven years of the most incredible harvests in Egypt. The harvests have been so abundant that uh, Joseph has gone around and he has collected the food, the leftover food 
from the harvest and he's put it in storehouses and he has collected so much food that he's given up trying to count it. There's too much of it. Uh, and all this food is stored. And now, for the last year or so, famine has struck the land. Not just in Egypt, but in the surrounding countries as well. The only place where there is food is Egypt. Because God had told Joseph what to do in order for people to survive. And you know the story. Joseph's brothers come to Egypt in search of food. And they end up in front of, of uh, Joseph. And they bow down to him. Uh, and eventually Joseph reveals himself to them. Uh, and the, the, brothers, the brothers are terrified, aren't they? Uh, and rightly so. This man that they're bowing down in front of, this man who is, as far as they're concerned, king of all the world. He's the one who can, who can choose whether or not they live or whether they die. Uh, and he's there in front of them. And, and this is the little brother they sold as a slave to Egypt all those years ago. And he's all-powerful. What will he do? He can do anything he wants. What will he do? Uh, and Joseph, Joseph doesn't hold a grudge. He becomes their savior, doesn't he? And we read Genesis 45, verses 4 to 11, because the Bible tells it so much better than I can tell it. It says, so Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near, and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now, do not be distressed or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth, and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh, the lord of all his house, and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry, and go up to my father, and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children, and your flocks and your herds and all that you have. There I will provide for you, for there are yet five years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. And Joseph sends for his father, and his father comes. Uh, and in chapter 47 that we read, uh, the family is introduced to Pharaoh. Five brothers are chosen. Uh, and Pharaoh said to his brothers, what is your occupation? They said to Pharaoh, we have come to sojourn in the land. Sorry, they said to Pharaoh, your servants are shepherds as our fathers were. They said to Pharaoh, we have come to sojourn in the land. For there is no pasture for your servants' flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. And now, please, let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. Did you notice they said, we have come to sojourn in the land. That word sojourn, three times in this passage in ESV, they've come to sojourn in the land. They hadn't come to stay. They hadn't come to set up home for good. They, they weren't invading. They weren't looking for a, a permanent residence. They had just come for a while, just for a short while. They wanted to stay until the famine was over 
And then their idea was that, that they would turn around and they go back to their own home because they had a home to go to. The NIV, if you've got an NIV, reads, we'd like to stay here a while. See, this is the essence of the word sojourn, isn't it? We just want to stay a while. We're just passing through. They don't see their permanent residence here. Just a short little stay. And Jacob, in our, in our text in verse 9, he says exactly the same thing about his life. He says, the days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. The same word sojourning. The NIV has pilgrimage. Okay, the days of my pilgrimage. Jacob is referring to his life in exactly the same way that his brothers, but the brothers are referring to their stay in Egypt. Just a short stay. Yeah, this is not my permanent residence, he's saying. This isn't my permanent home. I'm just passing through. That's what he's saying. He's saying, I'm on my way home. I'm traveling there. I'm just stopping here a while. Do you realize that you are just stopping here a while? Do you realize that you're traveling? That you're on your way somewhere? That you're not going to be here forever? That there's somewhere else you are going to be? Point two. Okay, point two. You're, you cannot stay. This world is not your final destination, is it? That should be obvious to everyone, shouldn't it? This world is not your final destination. However old you are, however young you are, this world is not your final destination. You are just passing through. Some of us will pass through slowly. Some of us will pass through quickly. But you are just passing through. There is a proviso here. You are passing through unless Jesus comes first. Yeah, but unless Jesus comes first, you will die. At some point in the future, you will die. Every single one of us in this room, we will die. Some people say that there's nothing after this life. Uh, they say, you know, we, we, we live, uh, we eat, we sleep, we enjoy ourselves, we do the best we can, and then at the end of it, we die and we go into the ground and that's it. Nothing else. Nothing else at all. That's sad, isn't it? That's a miserable prospect, isn't it? If this life is all there is, what is the point of it? Because we are here for such a short space of time, aren't we? We are not long for this world. What is the point if this is all there is and there is nothing else? Do our lives really count for nothing? Is there really no God that, that we need to take any notice of? Is there no life after this? Do we really just cease to exist? The preacher, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 7, he says, The dust returns to the earth as it was. Our bodies go into dust. But the spirit returns to God who gave it. He says, there's life after. Your spirit will go on, he says. Your spirit will go on. It'll go back to God who gave it. Some people believe you can cheat death and you can stay young forever. You know, they, they make lots of money out of it and that they've got lots of followers. Um, if I'm being charitable, I, I'd say they were deluded. If I'm being uncharitable, I would say they were con men making money out of people who are vulnerable and, and easily fooled. 
when I was in Sunday school a long time ago now, uh, one of my Sunday school teachers, he used to say, uh, when people do not believe in God, it is not that they believe nothing, it is that they will believe anything. Yeah, when people do not believe God, it's not that they believe in nothing, it is that they will believe in anything. You know, uh, and we've got people in our world today who believe that, that you should deep freeze your body so that in a few hundred years' time, scientists and doctors will be so advanced they'll be able to bring you back from the dead. If, if you can't afford to have all of your body frozen, you just have your head frozen. I, I don't know who's going to give up the rest of their body for, you, for your head to be sewn back on the top of it, but th that's the idea. Yeah? And they charge thousands for you to do this. Live forever by positive thinking. Positive thinking makes you live forever. Positive thinking can't keep you young, can it? Positive thinking. You know, you can be as positive as you want to. You can be as cold as you want to. You're still going to die. You're still going to go and meet God. Some people think you can cheat death by, by being reincarnated over and over and over and over again. Um, if you're bad in this life, you, you might come back as an animal. If you're good in this life, you might come back as a, a richer person or a higher caste person uh, until you, you become so good that you're lost forever in nirvana. Some people, some people believe, yeah, you will die, but, but you'll come back as something different. You'll come back as a god of your own world and you'll be able to populate your own world with all your offspring, with a large number of wives that you might have. Some people think you'll just get a number of wives to enjoy in the afterlife. These are thought up by men, aren't they? Yeah, because there's not a lot in here for women, is there? Yeah, all of these ideas. You know, I, I, think, I think there's a problem here. Because God says, Hebrews 9, it is appointed for man to die once. And after that comes judgment. God says, you'll die and then you'll meet him. You only live once. You die once. Then you meet him. What sort of judgment should we be expecting? Oh, you see, many people believe in God, don't they? If you went out on the streets of Cliddach today and you said, do you believe in God? They'll say yes. They do believe in God. What sort of God they believe in, I, I don't know, but they'll believe notionally in God. Do you believe you're going to heaven when you die? Yes, they'll say. We believe we're going to heaven when they die. Because that's where we want to go. Uh, they, they think God is like uh, some sort of a benign grandfather who likes giving gifts to his grandchildren. Uh, and uh, when we die, all of us are going to be welcomed into heaven um, like long-lost children. Uh, and God will be delighted to have us there. But the Bible doesn't paint a picture of God like that, does it? It doesn't paint God's picture like that. The Bible paints a picture of God being a God of love and a God of mercy and a God of forgiveness but he's also a God of justice. And the Bible talks about something called sin. It says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of sin, the rewards for our sin, the just payment for our sin is death. And we know that, don't we? We know all of us have sinned and all of us will die. But there is hope. Thank God that there is a but here in this verse, isn't it? There is hope. The free gift 
of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Our sin causes us to die. Our sin causes us to die in two ways. It causes our physical bodies to die. It causes our spiritual body to die. We can have our sin forgiven. We can go to the Lord Jesus Christ and he can forgive our sin. And that will cause us to be alive spiritually. Our bodies will still die. But after we've died and we go to meet God, then we will live forever with him because our sins have been forgiven. That sin is, is like a baggage that we take on a journey. You know, Pilgrim's Progress. Pilgrim had a big baggage on, on, on his back, didn't he? That, that he carried around with him. It, it was a picture of, of, of his sin. Uh, and we have that, uh, that picture, that baggage. Everything we have thought, everything that we have done, every bad thought is in that baggage. Every bad deed, every unkind word. Uh, and it's all brought before God for him to go through it with us. Uh, and that's uncomfortable, isn't it? That is uncomfortable. And if you're found guilty of a single charge, the punishment is hell for all eternity. But Jesus can take that baggage away. If you go to him at the cross and ask for forgiveness, he can take that baggage away from you. Uh, and he'll suffer the punishment for it himself so that you will not have to. Jacob, Jacob is looking forward to something in this passage where he's talking about his sojourning. It says in Hebrews, Hebrews 11, 13 to 16, talking about Jacob and a group of other Old Testament saints. It says, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers, and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had the opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Jacob was looking forward to going to heaven. That's what he's looking forward to. He'd had his sins forgiven. He knew his destination. Do you know your destination this morning? Do you know that you're going to heaven? Point three, your destination. You're traveling to a destination. Uh, you have a limited time before you get there. And you're carrying baggage. Where are you going? How do you get there? And what can you take? You know, most people, as we said earlier, when most people want to go to heaven, uh, most people will tell you that all the religions in the world are all the same, uh, and we'll all get to heaven, we're just all going in different ways. Again, God doesn't say that. God says in the Bible, there's only one way to get to heaven. There's not lots of ways. We can't pay with money, we can't pay with good works, because they're not good enough. Money, we can't afford it. And God doesn't need the money anyway. We read the sheep on a thousand hills are his. What does he want to do with a little bit of money that we, has, that we have? Heaven is God's home. We can only get into God's home on God's terms, not on ours. Jo Jesus said, John 14, verse 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is exclusive, isn't it? Jesus himself is saying that he is the only way to get to the Father. There is no other way. 
There is only one way, through the Lord Jesus Christ, with your sins forgiven. What can you take? You cannot get through heaven's door with that sin on your back. It needs to be dealt with before you get to meet God. You can go to hell with that sin on your back, but you can't go to heaven with that sin on your back. It needs to be taken away. You need your sin taken away. You need to be forgiven. And you go into heaven with Christ's forgiveness as your ticket to allow you into heaven. That's all you can take with you. Christ's forgiveness. Everything else is left behind. Your money, your reputation, your friends, any awards that you've had, all your good deeds, everything is left behind. The only thing that will get you into heaven is Christ's forgiveness. Matthew 25, 31 to 34. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats, goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared from you, for you from the foundation of the world. And if you jump a little bit further down to verse 41, then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Make sure that you are a sheep and not a goat this morning. Okay, you don't want to be with the goats. You want to be with the sheep. Make sure you've had your sin forgiven. Jacob knew uh, that this world was not his resting place. He knew that there was a heavenly home waiting for him. He knew that he was just passing through and he was on his way to be with God forever. I trust that, that you would know the same this morning.